Welcome back to another episode of Closing the Loop. My guest today is Prince Philip Karadjordjevic, hereditary prince of Serbia and Yugoslavia and chief strategy officer of Jan3, a digital infrastructure company focused on expanding access to Bitcoin technology and accelerating hyper-Bitcoinization. I first met Prince Philip at the Miami Bitcoin Conference in 2022 and was struck by both his down-to-earth demeanor as well as his passion and enthusiasm for Bitcoin. His family history is tremendously interesting, and Philip seems determined to follow in those footsteps by using Bitcoin in conjunction with his other initiatives to bring more freedom and prosperity to the people of Serbia and those living around the world. Enjoy. There we go. Prince Philip, it's uh, great to see you again. Good to see you too, John. I appreciate you doing this. Um, there's a lot of stuff that I think will be interesting to discuss and touch on today. But first, knowing, uh, having met you about a, having met you earlier this year at Bitcoin 2021, 22. and knowing, 2022 rather, and knowing uh, what kind of a year it's been or what kind of a, you know, half a year it's been since then, you know, how, how, how you doing? You know, I know it's been kind of a whirlwind. Yeah, it has. Uh, whirlwind is, uh, is, one way to put it. <laughs> so maybe for the audience that don't know my story about getting into Bitcoin, um, well, not getting into Bitcoin, but how I became public on Bitcoin. I've been into Bitcoin since 2017 and other shitcoins, but I became a maxi, let's say the beginning of, uh, of 2020 when I started doing more studying into it. And I realized that, yeah, it makes a lot, a lot of sense. And that's when I became full-time maxi. And it wasn't so it was earlier this year in March this year, I was invited with my wife to go on the Ivan Ivanovich show, which is like the equivalent of Saturday Night Live. And in Serbia, that is. So it's got a quite a big, quite a big following, quite a big audience. And um, so we went on. So yeah, before going on, I, I, we met with Ivan himself a few, uh, a few nights before to get to know one another. And that's when he found out I'm into Bitcoin. So then we're on the show and he asked me about my current job. I work in, I used to work in finance and asset management and I'm there talking about it, not so excitedly. And then he decides to, uh, he knows how to read. He knows how to read the person quite well. He just decides to butt in and goes, uh, so is now a good time to talk about crypto? <laughs> so that's when I decided, yeah, that's when I said, oh yeah, well, of course it is. No, it's not about crypto. It's all about Bitcoin. And I went on about three minutes about uh, why Bitcoin. Then that did the rounds on, uh, on, on Bitcoin social media, especially Twitter, which I sort of picked up on as well. Next thing I know, I'm speaking to, uh, to people like Safety, um, going on my first ever podcast on Daniel Prince's Once Bitten podcast and speaking to uh, the likes of Samson Mao and having people reach out to me. Definitely. And the next thing I know, I get invited to Miami 2022. And that's where I meet, that I meet people like you. <laughs> So since then, at Miami 2022 is when I was introduced in person to Samson, uh, Samson Mao. And as people know, he's been associated with uh, nation state adoption and Bitcoin. And he's just, just then he announced his new company, his new, well, I guess you can call it startup, mm -hmm. um, Jan3. And he, Samson at Bitcoin 22 in Miami uh, said, Philip, I'm, uh, I'm, uh, I'm recruiting you. And I pretty much said yes on the spot. <laughs> I think I remember. Were we not, you know, outside of the, the kind of 
eating area. Yeah, we were exactly the there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think Andre was on the same, you know, Andre from Madeira was on the same table. Yeah. He saw it happening. I was like, oh my God, that's amazing. <laughs> How things move so quickly. It was like, yeah, tell me about it. <laughs> I remember you were, you were pretty jazzed about it. You had, like, I, I grinning, was. grinning ear to ear and pretty excited. Yep. Um, yeah, really excited. Then what happened after Miami 2022 was going back to Belgrade. I was still buzzing from uh, meeting some of my uh, some of the heroes in the Bitcoin world and just understanding that they're just like you and me. They're all very humble, modest, uh, intelligent, funny. Not that I'm intelligent. I might be funny. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, you know, met the likes of Michael Saylor and, uh, and you know, people uh, hit me. I mean, that was insane. I was sitting at a little breakfast that's at his place in Miami while he's orange pilling the president of Madeira. That was incredible. Like one hour monologue of, of uh, orange pilling at its finest. Laser eyes focus. It was yeah. insane. It's um, so funny to, to sit in on those. And, you know, there's maybe 10 people there and you know like everyone's just going maybe it's a, a you think you're going to have a breakfast and a chat and it just ends up being the giga chat dropping fire for an hour and <laughs> exactly. everyone's just like jaw on the floor and like head nodding and just yeah exactly i know. wish i recorded it you know that was <laughs> <laughs> but it was at the moment thing it was in the moment and it was it was beautiful um yeah i mean i mean i met so many great great bitcoiners in uh in miami then going back to belgrade you know uh readjusting to life back in Belgrade. And then um, what was always on the cards was uh, I'm not the uh, eldest. So my, okay, I'm, I'm the, my father had three, three sons. I am the middle one. My older brother, Peter, he's two years old and I have a twin brother, Alex, Alexander. Uh, so I moved back to Belgrade with my wife and son uh, two and a half years ago, right? Well, June, 2020. Uh, I thought it was a good time to move because because of the um, the whole COVID thing. Uh, we all my work went remote, and that was a good opportunity to move my work to London. I told them I would come back to London when things are good again. But when things were good again, about a year ago, when they opened up the offices again, they asked me, "So Philip, when are you coming back?" You know, and I was like, "Actually, I'm pretty happy here." So <laughs> I was just waiting for something like this to happen, well, Bitcoin to happen, and and it did. But anyway, so my older brother is, he's not into the whole monarchy thing. You know, he's, he lives quite a private life. He lives in, in Spain, in Sevilla, where uh, very near my mother and my two sisters, half sisters from my mother's second marriage. And he's, we've always had talked in the air. It's, it's always been in the air that he would sort of abdicate. He would, you know, give up his, uh, his, uh, um, his uh, descendants, his uh, succession, I should say, to to to, to me, um, being that I'm married to a Serbian, I'm more sort of here, more active and more interested in the whole thing. And finally, that happened um, three, two, or not even three weeks after uh, after Miami. So we actually did it in Sevilla. Peter didn't want to do it in Serbia. He doesn't like the spotlight or anything like that. He likes to be quite private. And that's something I want to respect. That's something I want to, one of the reasons I did it. I want to protect his, uh, his privacy. So we flew to, to, to Sevilla, I should say, uh, with my wife and son. And we had a beautiful ceremony there. And then, yes, yeah, so basically I now have become the, uh, the prince heir of Serbia. So if there was a king, my father would be king. I'll be next in line. So that was another big, bigger. Actually, I got a family promotion, so to speak. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. It, and when was the the interview on Serbian television? Was that, that earlier was, in 2022? Yeah, that was March. Uh, yeah, March 6, I believe, that, 2022. So things wow. move really so quickly. In the, yeah. the span of two months, you know, you come out to the world as a Bitcoin maxi, you go to Miami, you meet, you know, the Giga Chad and everybody else, you get a job <laughs> offer, you become the, the heir to the throne. Not a bad, not a bad not 2022. Bad. No, not at all. <laughs> I mean, then doing recording loads of other podcasts and it's, yeah, it's crap, crazy. And then because of then getting the, 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 say the family promotion, I've been, well, like my wife and I have always been touring Serbia a lot. We try and meet as many people as possible. It's our thing that we're trying to give people a, a, a voice, a, a pl our platform to voice their issues, their problems and stuff. And now because we are, now I am, I guess one closer to you know one one you know the 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 the, uh, the, her, the hereditary prince that it gives it more gives things a little bit more meaning more importance so there's more attention on us right now so it's been yeah as you said before whirlwind of a year so far yeah what because I, I I went deep into the history of Serbia and the monarchy in preparation for this and it's really fascinating and I I'd love to touch on some of it. But in, in 45, I believe it was, was when the communists took over in Serbia. Is that correct? Yes. So, I mean, it's very complex history, as is the case of the whole of the Balkans. Um, yeah. So, let's... Uh, okay, what happened around 45 was my... Uh, just before that, my grandfather became of age and was became king. This was King Peter II, the last king of, of Yugoslavia or Serbia. He... Uh, Rewind a little bit further, actually. The reason why he wasn't king yet was because my great-grandfather, King Alexander I, was assassinated in Marseille in 1934 mm -hmm. and assassinated by uh, Croat nationalists. I think that, well, it was times were uh, very tense at, around then. There was the nationalism was rising, communism and the, the idea of socialism was rising. The You had, you had big... Um, Powers like the Austri the the Germans and um, and just basically you had a, you had a lot of pressure from all these different these different um, um, axes of power. The, the UK were also pushing on us a little bit as well because they saw that we were disturbed. Uh, Yugoslavia was getting quite strong, so this all led to nineteen to the set first second world war, which isn't our fault. <laughs> first of all, <laughs> maybe you could blame it a little bit on the Serbs assassinating Franz Ferdinand, but. Uh, yeah, no, the Second World War was was an absolute mess in this country. There was Russian and German occupation here. Sorry, when my grand my great grandfather Alexander the First was assassinated, his cousin um, uh, Paul became the regent king because my right. grandfather was not old enough. Mm -hmm. He was only thirteen years old, about thirteen when when the time happened. So when he became of age, it was already pretty much the Second World War, and not a good time to. Uh, to take things over from there. And one thing led to another. He was exiled and had to move, uh, ended up in London. And that was by 1944, 45, and then he, 44, because my father was then born in London in, in 1945. Um, so that's when the communists sort of, yeah, took, there was two fractions of the Serbian um uh, militia. One was the, the the more monarchist, the royalists, which were the Chetniks, and then the one which was the the, the communists, the partisans. At uh, one point in time, both of them were fighting together for the protection of Serbia, 
But then as things are in that region and the way things are with the Second World War, they had they ended up turning against each other, of course, because of the of the ideological differences. And well, I hate to say it, but this is true. The Brits, as I was touched on before, were a little bit uh, worried about the strength of the Yugoslavian um, uh, Yugoslavia as a nation, as a monarchy. We were getting, we were, we became quite rich. We had a lot of uh, a lot of wealth coming to our country. We were very productive. You know, there was, a, there was becoming quite a powerhouse of the Balkans of of Europe. They decided to go ahead and support Tito, who was the head of the partisans, who became the general. And this is coming from a monarchy, a constitutional monarchy, supporting socialism, communism, over another monarchy. I mean, that's it. But you know, this isn't the monarchs of England doing it. Um, this is uh, this is political powers doing it because they had more interest in Tito uh, in control because they were able to prop him up better. It was easier as as uh, as a point of um, as a vantage point to get to rush to 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 be in, to uh, to be in control of Russia because Russia was the growing force was the big force on the other side of the Iron Curtain at the time, and it was in their interest that Yugoslavia was actually propped up by people don't well probably probably know about it more now but it was propped up by American by Western money mainly American money that all fell through so actually Yugoslavia during the communist years was actually quite prosperous still. Um, a lot of tourism. Uh, uh, there was, it was still quite productive. Uh, Tito kept things together with that, pretty, like, pretty much of an iron fist, but he had a lot of help from, uh, um, from outside wealth. Plus, he was the head of the, the, um, the non-aligned movement as well, which was, I guess, the second world uh, back then, the communist world. He, was, he led that as well. But... I think the falling point was when NATO was formed, the East decided to form its own sort of NATO, and that was the Warsaw Pact. I think that was the late 60s or, fi- or in the early late 60s. That fell apart. So Yugoslavia was really of no interest anymore by, by the, uh, for, the, for, for the West. So that's when the money dried up going into, into Yugoslavia, and that's when Yugoslavia started to experience its first sort of uh, financial crisis, uh, well, problems. Inflation started to rise in the 70s. Um, Tito died in 1980. And then from the 80s was when the, the disintegration started to, started to take place. And then by the 90s, we, we know the history there. It's pretty bloody wars. And uh, some of the well third highest inflation in, in the history of, of, of mankind happened in, in the 90s in Yugoslavia. It was, uh, it was pretty horrible. You know, some of the worst things we've seen, some of the worst scenes in Europe since the Second World War. Yeah. I think, is it not the case that um, Paul initially aligned Yugoslavia with uh, the Axis powers? And then I think, you know, maybe the people, I can't remember, like people revolted against that? Yes, or, or, yes there's a and, picture. Right. And there's then, a picture of him with, with, with Hitler himself. And then yeah. as a result of that, he was deposed, I guess, Alexander comes in for couple of days or weeks and then as a result of that because he switched the allegiance like the alliance i guess and then germany just attacked pulled back that- yeah yeah that's it some th- something along those lines yeah it's a little bit some different stories on different sides but right, yes there was conversations happening with prince paul and the and 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 the germans well, one of the things that is just oppressed upon one when they're in like looking at any history really but 
perhaps particularly this part of the world, is so many different factions vying for influence and so much going on. And like you've got all the ethnic groups in the area wanting mm -hmm. their own independence, wanting their own homeland. And then, you know, earlier on, you've got the Ottomans, the Austro-Hungarians, the Russians, you know, everyone is just trying to execute their geopolitical strategy over this yes. territory. You know, it's kind of similar to maybe what's happening in the Middle East today, where you have, or over the last several decades, you, or maybe even for the last several millennia, depending on what your perspective is, but there's certain areas of the world that have always been these places where the major powers are vying for control and dominance. And perhaps it's not surprising that these areas are often kind of considered where East meets West, mm. right? Whether it's the Middle East, whether it's the Bosphorus around, you know, Turkey and the Balkans and, you know, because the, the cultures are clashing there perhaps more than anywhere. But and it's just, it's amazing how much history there is there. There was, so story of how the Karad Georgievich came about. So it's, the dynasty was, um, came about because of Karad George, who was my four greats. So great, 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 great grandfather. He led the first uprising against the Ottoman Empire for the Serbs. So that was in 1804. Um, he was from the Shumadia region. Shuma means forest, like the, this very foresty region, not, not far outside of Belgrade. Um, he was from the Shumadia region, and he was an affluent pig farmer, like a livestock merchant, but also a gen became general of an, ar of, of an army. And he was the one who gathered, gathered some, um, some other individuals together and led the first organized and successful uprising against the, uh, the Ottomans in, in, in 1804 which subsequently led to the second uprising by the Obrenovich dynasty in 186, don't quote me on this, but something like that, 18 teens, I believe. Mm -hmm. um, so during that time was when out of this, that, when you look at a map of Europe in the 1800s, you'll see the sea of the, the expanse of the Ottoman, Ottoman Empire. And then out of nowhere, in the middle of, that, of the Ottoman Empire, boop, you see Serbia disappear. <laughs> it became a principality of the Ottoman Empire. And this is where the first uh, monarch of the Karadjordjevic dynasty became um, came to power, which which was Knez Alexander. What no, it's it's more like a prince, uh, or like like kind of what you have in Liechtenstein. He's he's the head of it's like a principality, the head of the of the families, like the prince. So, but he still had you know respect towards the Ottomans, and that was uh, a. Kara George's uh, first son, Alexander, Alexander Kara Georgievich, Kenes Alexander. Then the Obrenovich family took over. Uh, they had th two, three kings. By that time, it was towards the end of the 1800s, beginning of, 19, uh, beginning of the 20th century. It wasn't very popular and they were disposed of, executed. Not by the Karadjordjevich, but because they were actually not very good with their people. So obviously, mm -hmm. when you don't play, uh, when you don't, when you're not nice, the people, Serbs, they will, uh, <laughs> they'll let you, they'll let themselves know. You know, you, they, they will, they will revolutionize. So Peter the first, my great great grandfather, became a king, and that was his coronation, 1903. So my point is going back to this is uh, to what you're talking about this. Uh, struggle of power in the region is uh, it was in the interest that Peter the first led 
the the kingdom it was Serbia was actually quite stable during this time. Yes, there were some problems with the with the dynasties um, and some of the control there, but he was the first uh, uh, that he was the, he was the one that led my to my grandfather creating the first the unification one unification the the, the kingdom of the of of uh, Serbs, Croat, and Slovenes. And this was a, as, as an attempt to, uh, to, 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 to strengthen the area against the, uh, the, the Austrian-Hungarian Empire, which was growing in strength at the time. And this is what then led to Yugoslavia being formed with the other three, uh, other, uh, three states being added to it, which was Bosnia, Montenegro, and Slovenia. Um, during those times, as I said, the monarchy held a very stabilized region and people, religions, were able to practice their religions. People were able to be individuals and, and, and be whatever religion there was. So there was Muslims. Um, in some areas, there was like 90% Muslim. Some areas was like 90% Orthodox, uh, which I am uh, Serbian Orthodox. And some areas were 90% Catholic. And in those areas, you had different other, different other religions. And they were all practicing these religions during the crown with respect from one another. And there was no fighting there. It wasn't until... Money got in the way, I should say, and other other power, other influences from other geographical regions decided to start meddling with us because they saw us as being too stable. Yeah, well, a lot, a lot there that I I want to touch on and ask you more about. Um, but first, it sounds like Peter, Peter the first, Peter the Great, I think Peter he may first, have been yeah. called, um, was a real interesting character. Um, you know, because he he grew up and was ed- educated outside of Serbia as a result of, I guess, the the, dis- the monarchical dispute and the tensions uh, that were existing there at the time. And uh, I think he went to school perhaps in Switzerland, and then he also spent a lot of time in in London. Um, and interestingly, correct me if I'm wrong, he wrote the first Serbian translation of On Liberty by yes, John Stuart I was Mill. Yes, I was just going to say that, yeah. <laughs> he, so he, uh, I don't know. I don't think it was his translation, but he, uh, he definitely uh, went about and organized that because he. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. I don't well, think he was behind English, it. Yeah, he was definitely behind it. He, he, he pushed for that. He was definitely for the for. He was very much. Look, he would have been a Bitcoiner today. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> was, I mean, he, he's an. He, he took. It seemed like he took charge. You know, he he had both the you know, refined intellect, it seemed, and he was, you know, educated and all that, but he was, seemed, he always, as far as I could tell in the battles and wars that he was involved in, he was right, you know, in the mix of it all and wanting to lead from the front and that sort of a character. He just seemed like, you know, a very stoic uh, uh, he, philosopher yeah. king sort of guy. He, uh, he was on the front line in the First World War. Actually, the, he, he was so was his son, and so was Alexander at some points as well. But they were the Serbian mon- uh, dynasty. Is look, they they are born from the people essentially. There's quite a young dynasty, and they were um, they were always mixing with the people. They didn't see themselves as 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 above the people. They were like f- by the people for the people. Um, P- King Peter the first will, will be and, and King Alexander as well and all the members of the royal family. They'll be they'll be hanging they'll be traveling the country, stopping at people's houses and people's restaurants and things and and um and 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 and, and just receiving hospitality left, right and center, which is mingling with the people and stuff. It was they they would always be just yeah, one of the one of the one of the crowd basically. 
yes, they would have that world duty and stuff. But the, Peter the First, for example, he didn't want to spend time in, in Belgrade in the city. He actually, as soon as the First World War was done, his his aim was to get back to uh, to Shumadia, to the to 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 where he was from, and, and to hang out in the countryside with his people there. King Alexander was a, uh, a little bit more of a uh, diplomat and more, a bit more international. But again, him and his wife, uh, Queen Maria, they, they traveled the country stopping at people's houses. They were very, uh, very modest in that sense. Yeah. Um, I should say also, as I'm attempting to, to recall from memory and summarize all this stuff, I'm, I'm getting like the Wikipedia and internet version. So if there's any aspects of it that need correcting, obviously, you know, you <laughs> can step not, in. But. I'm not really the uh, historical expert. I have to, I have to sort of uh, defer to some, some, some of my friends and more, uh, yeah, more people with better knowledge. And even that, sure. you have to get different views as well because everyone yeah. has a slight, especially given the area, given the ideological differences that have come through this area, you do have to uh, get some, well, Good experts. Different perspectives. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Um, one of the things I found interesting, like as I was reading the history of um, Black George, as I believe his, his nickname yep, that's uh, was, the patriarch of the family, um, he, you know, he was fighting and then exiled and then trying to come back. And like there were, he was kind of in and out as he was trying to maneuver the, the geopolitical landscape yes. and establish freedom and independence for his people. And it made me think of um, Simon Bolivar in, in, in Venezuela, because I recently spoke to one of his relatives, who's a, um, a politician in exile, oh, right. basically, okay. from Venezuela, Leopoldo Lopez. And um, it's just so interesting that, you know, when you read through history, like you hear of these famous figures that established freedom, let's say, for their people. Um, and, you know, even that could, you could, that could be contentious. But just to say that you forget that behind that, moniker behind that you know history in in all these cases there's so many years that go by where it's like you're in you're out you're exiled you're in jail you're back free you're fighting again you're on this side you're on that side like there's it there's so much moving around to get to the final end which is you know presumably attempting to fight for the freedom and independence of of your people mm -hmm. and what i find interesting about this family rivalry between the Kara Georgievich's and the, is it Obramovich's? Obrenovich, yeah. Obrenovich's is, and you know, the latter descendants might hate me for this if there's any of them left, but like, it seemed like your side of the family, you know, Black George, he was absolute about the independence and freedom about, of the Serbian people, mm -hmm. right? So when, when he, they had established some regional power and it was time to broker deals between the larger powers that were kind of on the periphery getting involved. Your ancestors were like, no, complete freedom. That's the only deal we're interested in. <laughs> Whereas the, the other clan were like, we'll accept some like a vassalid sort of thing. Like you give us enough independence and we'll acquiesce to your control and, and dominance. And um, that's how the history came off as far as, as, as I've read it. And it's just interesting, interesting that, as a result of that, and I think this bears out in so many places historically, the one that's more absolute about the freedom of the people becomes the hero that lives long beyond the life of, of the individual. And sometimes their family line, you know, makes it and they, they have a, a, a dynasty or, or lineage of some kind. And sometimes they don't. But the fact remains that like what history respects the most and elevates the most in, in, in you know, post 
you know, in, in hindsight, is the one who rigidly and absolutely fought for freedom and didn't, you know, wasn't the, the Spartans who brokered the deal with the Xerxes, well, exactly, you know, like no, yes. nobody wants to celebrate that ten, a thousand years later. You want to celebrate the absolute commitment to the freedom of, of one's people. And it seemed like that's the, the difference that I noticed between the two uh, I, royal families, as it were, vying for control and serving. It's a good observation. It, he had a hard time. It's usually the ones that have the hardest times are the ones who... Uh, yeah, well, his were, end was was brutal. Brutal. It was, you know, he, it, it was the, I think, the fifth or sixth attempt on his life. And he was, it was done by, by being hacked with an axe. By that family, yes. right? By an agent yeah. of that family. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, they they finally then... got to him. They finally got to him. It took, it took a yeah. lot to take him down. He was, uh, he was, he, he was... sounded like a wily character. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. To say the least. But, you know, but it's interesting too, you know, cause sometimes you, you think, or, you know, even as Bitcoiners today, you might think like, well, how do, how do you create a country? You know, like maybe a bunch of Bitcoiners just want to get together and say, like, wouldn't we like to make our own rules and live, you know, not under the thumb of some stupid WEF funded regime of some kind, you know? And uh, but how do you create a country? Like, can you just can you buy land and say we're a country now? And and so often throughout history, it's unfortunately countries are formed by bloodshed by just saying mm -hmm. this is ours now and we're willing to die for it. Are you willing to die for it? And who's ever willing to die more and wins that competition? ends up being able to establish themselves as a, as a domain, as a country. And that was certainly seemed like the case in your family's history. I mean, the, the patriarch of your family was just like, well, we're willing to fight for this and we're willing to fight till the end. And as a result of that, yeah. the domain was established. Well, yeah. It's, um, Serbian history goes way back. Um, well, sure. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so, so that's the thing. So, you know, being under the non-Ottoman rule for, for, for hundreds of years, we were, we were a monarchy before the Ottomans. There was, if you go, if you look back, there's the first Kings of Serbia, you know, you have, you have the, the saints and Kings, Sveti Sava, you have many saints, saints, um, King Stefan from the Nemanic dynasty, dynasty. So there's, it's rich with, 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 with monarchies, uh, Serbian history and, and the whole of the Serbian um, landscape is peppered with uh, monasteries depicting this history, and it's beautiful. I've just come back from 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 Kosovo, which uh, which was the just now the enthronement of our new patriarch. I say he's new; it's uh, he's been around since two two thousand and um, sorry, since last year, February twenty twenty one. And the enthronement is by by tradition is that he gets enthroned in Belgrade, and then again in Kosovo in Pech Monastery. Which, as we know, we don't recognize Kosovo as a separate nation. It's it's still Serbia. Um, took time for for his enthronement in Kosovo in Pech, I should say, because of the political diplomatic relationships. And I was lucky enough to go. Um, there was no other politicians from Serbia that went because of the, the way the diplomatic relationships are. So in a way, they were, it kind of worked in my favor that I was the only like let's call it uh, um, important. Uh, representative from serbia so that turned out well in my favor but it was beautiful this is you're seeing his this is history over here this has been going on for 800 years the enthronement of the patriarch in uh, in this location um it's and it's unbroken really so this is even during 
um, even during the Ottoman Empire, they were sort of allowed to practice it. As they were allowed to practice it, but religion was uh, orthodoxy was done in quiet. When the churches were built during that time, they were built like almost underground. No bell ringing was allowed and everything, but they were allowed to practice it. People were oppressed. People were living in control as slaves. You know, they had, they were, they, they it was, they, they, they had, they, they had to owe a lot to the Ottoman Empire. They were not free. So I guess this is when the likes of someone like Cara uh, Giorgio, you know, people like when you when you when you did the comparison with Simon Bolivar, this is this is what it is. You know, they they sought to free people from this from this tyranny, this control from. Uh, from a foreign power, from a foreign way, and reestablish cult, the, the, the culture the way it should be. Yes, it turned out differently in parts of uh, Latin America where they've still kept um, Catholicism and the likes. But in uh, in Serbia, we've had a rich Orthodoxy history that spans uh, almost a millennia, or more than a millennia. So this was, uh, I guess, this was worth protecting for, for the likes of people like Cara Georgia. Yeah. And I, I want to come back to that in a second, dig into it, but I also want to close the loop on, on the original, why we diverted into all this. Yep. But the, the, the last thing I wanted to mention or ask about uh, Peter was, so, and, and this like hundred year family feud between, you know, your family and the other one. The Obranovich, yeah. Is, yes. Was it, was it not the case that they were, the king and queen were in power, but they didn't produce an heir and the Serbian people felt like, um, you know, the monarchy or something would, or the political situation would devolve as a result of that. And because it was the Serbian people that killed the king and queen. And as a result of that, Peter came back and was, uh, I've heard, uh, I've heard of that. Installed as the king. Yeah, I've heard of that story, but it's, I think it's a mix of that and a mix of the fact that he didn't treat his, his, uh, his, um, his army. So they very, also just didn't didn't, didn't like. They they didn't treat his, their army very uh, very well. He was a lot of them were starving and stuff. So they was they were easily, they weren't very popular. Um, right. I look. I need I need to brush up my history on that. I'm gonna put up. <laughs> I'm gonna stick my arm my, my hands up in there and say I need to brush up my history on that one. You know, the air story I've heard as well. But also Peter was gaining a lot of support with the people because of who he was, how, what he represented, how his character was, his ideologies. Yeah. So I guess it wasn't, you know, one thing is, was it Peter who ordered Peter who ordered it? I very much doubt it. He wouldn't be that. He's not that sort of character. And that's not what's said in history as, as well. Some people would claim it because they're, you know, they they want that to believe that. But um, sure. Yeah. I'm now often when we, uh, when we finish speaking this, I'm going to brush up, I'm going to speak to a couple of friends <laughs> and brush up, brush up my history on the, uh, on the transition from Abrenovich to, uh, to, uh, and why they were really assassinated. <laughs> right. Well, yeah. good. Then next time we, we speak, you can fill me in yeah, on all the gaps. But I will. The, so back to the original question was, um, in 1945, the monarchy was abolished, abolished I guess, yeah. in a sense. Um, and so is it a unique circum, cause you know, your fam, you know, you're you're called the hereditary prince, right? So there's still at least an attempt by your family or certain people to maintain, uh, yes, this legacy in some in some sense, and maybe even reestablish it in its former how it was, you know, formerly in place. And so, one is that a common thing throughout the world to kind of once something a monarchy has been abolished for the That's family to 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 re- yeah. To, to yes. try to return in some sense well, and and also in your case you know how's that going 
let's look at one recent, I say recent, it's not so recent anymore example, and that is Spain. Um, they were slightly more fortunate that Spain was under control of um, General Franco, and Franco was uh, more right-wing, and he actually made Spain his, uh, Spain, sorry, Juan Carlos, his successor. Um, he basically made him success, his successor because Juan Carlos was in the army there and was still living there and was so, somewhat protected there as well uh, by, by Franco, which is the opposite of what we, what we had to go through. But when Juan Carlos became, um, became the general, he obviously turned it into a monarchy and he pushed for it to become a, a democracy. Um, not going to get into in, into the flight of... Said uh, with eyes rolling. Yeah. <laughs> not going to get into the arguments of... Uh, of of the failures of democracy, that's maybe for another time, or maybe we can touch on well, that. Well, we we will touch on that. We will. <laughs> but uh, he pushed, so he was able to. Uh, so that's that's monarchy being re, uh, reinstated and becoming part of the system. And yeah, so that was that was that's one recent example of monarchy coming back when it was abolished after uh, a good part of uh, six, seven, no, sixty years, I believe, um, or a bit longer. Anyway. Again, don't quote me on that. Um, so yeah, going to now going to Yugoslavia and I should say Serbia now. It's uh, it's the monarchy was abolished in 1945. 1947 was the uh, the constitutional act against the Karadžorđević family, the the, the uh, so-called confiscation act that took all our all, all our private property away, which is still in place right now in the constitution today. Actually, it's still in place in uh, places like Slovenia, which was part of Yugoslavia, and they're part of the European Union. So in their constitution, in the EU right now, they have a clause against the Karadžorđević dynasty of confiscation of property, which is a direct violation of, of human rights. So that would not stand if it should go, which we're trying to, go, would not stand in the courts of human rights in, um, in, Hague. in Hague, that's it. So, wow. yeah. <laughs> But so that's the that's the European Union for you. Another failure. Um, <laughs> um, so yes, there is a lot of support for the for the return of the monarchy here. Um, I would say that the support would have would have been at its uh, very strong at its strongest maybe in the nineties uh, after Milosevic. Sorry, after Tito died, nineteen eighty, and then there was. Then the breakup of Yugoslavia in the 90s, um, there was sort of an opportunity there. There was people want to change. They, they've gone through so much uh, bloodshed and stuff. And I think if things were better managed there, they, uh, they would have, it could have become maybe a monarchy there. But also I could say, you know, not to, not to criticize my father too much and my, uh, my stepmother, but maybe they were badly informed that something happened. They didn't, they didn't make the right decisions. They, however, they were invited so in 2000 october 2000 milosevic gets gets toppled ousted i should say and my father was invited back to serbia to 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 belgrade and he with the president i should say the prime minister the new of the new government at the time which was the president was kostunica and the prime minister goran jinjic the prime minister took my father and said look go go put your foot in the palace right now and you can have the right of use of it. it's not yours but it's still the state but you can live there so yeah my father took the opportunity my stepmother of course followed him uh, into the to live in the palace and so they've been living there for the last 20 years 
They got a budget to run the pallet to, uh, to, for the upkeep with the pallets by 2005. And let's say, I don't know, maybe they're just completely out of touch. I'll, I'll, I'm not going to go into the criticizing my stepmother. That's been done too much recently. Sure. <laughs> <But> <laughs> Fair they're, enough. They're a little bit out of touch. Um, my, they, they didn't mingle with the, with, the, with the public, with the people. They were living on the top of the hill where the palace grounds are. And I guess they, she, my stepmother does her sort of charity humanitarian work, which I, I don't support. Not saying that charity is bad, but I think it's the wrong way about of doing things. You know, my father, I don't, it's, the mixture was not there. So popularity instantly started to fade. I and my brothers were not interested from a very young age because, again, I don't want to go into too much detail, but because we were put off by the idea because of my stepmother. Um, <laughs> when my father remarried, she remarried someone that wasn't very, uh, let's say very, uh, um, well, you know, we didn't get along with her very well. Fam- family issues. Family yes, issues. we all, we all we understand. We were pushed to do things that we didn't want to do when we were younger. We were wanting, you know, we, we just didn't like the idea of being princes and we didn't like the idea of going to go show our faces at Yugoslavia and Serbian events at the time, going to church and things. So obviously we were put off by us as children. It was not the yeah. right, not the the way to 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 uh, to bring up, uh, let's say, young princes in exile. How to make you know to how to uh, get them to love their country that they that they they can't live in. But it wasn't until recently uh, when I ma- when I met my wife in two thousand in uh, two thousand sixteen, and then I married her in two thousand seventeen, and we had our son in two thousand eighteen. That she's Serbian, and like that got me really back in touch with uh, my Serbian roots. Yes, I was coming back to to Belgrade to, to and Serbia to be with my father. I'm very loyal to my father and being around with him. But you know, as much as I can stomach it. But now having a <laughs> having my having my 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 wife and my son being proper Serbians, um, and I'm actually in I, I'm embracing the culture. I'm going to church. What also helped us becoming a Bitcoiner as well, and that also helped my journey into Bitcoin. Both of them helped each other one um, hand in hand. Um, I became I became much more focused on on family values and protecting the future. What sort of future I'll leave for my son? You know how, what you know what 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 um what what was my background? What was my dynasty like? What was this? So I started to actually start studying it more, which is something that I wasn't really interested in that much before. But now I became interested, and I always see that what what good it can do, what good it has done, and what good it can do in the future. So. Um, I, I need to, and I want to leverage this one off the other with Bitcoin as well. That's at the same time that I, as I said, that the synergies between Bitcoin and, uh, and, and monarchies is, is, is beautiful. So my wife and I, um, before even, before I came into Bitcoin, Maxi, we were doing a lot of, uh, a lot of PR in Serbia. I think I mentioned before that we traveled around Serbia. We get invited to a lot of places to appear here, to, uh, to go do this. And, um, and, um, to go to some Slavas, like a, fa- a family saint day of the church there, go and visit some uh, protest over here, or it's just going to lots of different places all around Serbia and the region, not just in Serbia, but like going to Montenegro, going to Republika Srpska, which is the Serbian autonomous, autonomous part of uh, Bosnia-Herzegovina. We, um, uh, we've been, I mean, we go to Kosovo, which is still Serbia, of course. Um, so, where was I getting with this? Is that, yeah, so. Kind of the status. Yeah, of, the status. So yeah. we've been working on this a lot. And and now we've, uh, 
don't want to pat myself on the back, but my wife and I have really bought, uh, have bought a lot of popularity back to the family because I guess it's the way we, uh, we went about and did things. What we did, I guess, different to what my father and stepmother did is just that we were more, um, we were more open. We actually spoke our minds. I have an, we have an opinion. And that's something my father was acting too much like he was a monarch already in place in, in, in a system that was already functioning monarchy. Um, so behaving somewhat like the Queen or now Prince Charles would, which he has not, he can't voice much of an opinion or any opinion at all. We don't have that over here. So we don't have the luxury of being backed by anyone. I'm not backed by the state. Yes, my father does have a budget uh, to, to take care of the property there just to, for, for the maintenance. But I don't live in the palace. I don't want to live in the palace. I live downtown. I live with my wife and my son downtown. He goes to a, a state nursery. It's a life. You know, we, have, we, we live very good, common life, I should say. I go to the market. I buy loads of good food from there, loads of good meat and things. And... And so we live an ordinary life and I voice an opinion, something that my father never really did much. So which is kind of brushing up against the politicians a little bit, but at the same time, it's actually gaining respect from the people and the politicians saying, okay, Philip and his wife, Danitia, they mean, they mean business, I guess. They're not going to just uh, take a seat back and say, yeah, let their title do the, you know, do the work for them. You have to, right. I, I want to give people a voice. I care about day-to-day problems. I care about people's freedom. You know, I, it's, it's, and I think that's what being a monarch is about. You know, the, um, I, I want to make a difference. <laughs> right. And do you get the sense? I mean, it sounds like this is happening, but because you, you can appreciate if <clears throat> from the people's perspective, you know, and obviously some people support the idea of monarchies and other people are against it, but, you know, you can appreciate people seeing a monarch in exile or a former dynastic family or something coming back, you know, after basically living, growing up and living abroad and being like, oh, you're just here, you know, to, to step in. You're not really one of us. Is there a sense that they're accepting of your kind of coming back and, and reintegrating into, you know, the so Serbian culture and people? We are, I have gotten a loads of comments that uh, we've changed the minds of a few Republicans. <laughs> so, <laughs> yes, so we have, we, I still get insulted all the time. You see on, on social media, you know, you still get a lot of insults by more, like say, Republican, socialist-minded people. That's, man, that's to be expected. I see that point of view. You know, I identify as a, as a little bit more of a socialist a few years ago. I mean, I went through that stupid rabbit hole. Um, <laughs> lucky for not very long. Um, right. thanks to the inequalities of the world, you sort of, it's that, that's an easy one to go down, but then that's an easy one to get out of as well. I think in my opinion, but anyway, um, yeah. so I put my hands up and say, I know, so I know what they're, I know what they're thinking. I think I know, I think I do. So, but, uh, yeah, we've had, we've had, uh, you know, we've had, I do speak to people that, uh, that don't really support the idea of monarchy, but, um, and it's, they were cold, some cold, uh, instances in the past, but now I'm speaking to people who are like hardcore Republicans saying, um, I'm a Republican, but I support, I'm, I support your cause. And I support, you know, I would support monarchy if people chose it. So that's a good encouraging sign. What do you think, you know, cause as we move into, well, I, I should be careful how to characterize our current era, but suffice it to say that monarchies have been on the decline mm -hmm. and, you know, different forms of governance, republicanism, federalism, whatever, have, have, have popped up over the last hundred years. And I think the de facto explanation would be something like, how can we assign any 
you know, higher worth on one person over another, right? Should we not all be equal? And these new, newer forms of governance are ways to manage what necessarily must be administrated and coordinated and governed, but in a more egalitarian way where there, you know, no one is, is better than anyone else. Um, in that kind of a context, which, you know, broadly characterizing our world today, what do you think is both the function of a monarchy, um, but also from where do you believe it derives its logical or moral legitimacy? Hmm. Well, as you sort of mentioned, it's something that people see as dated, as old-fashioned. Hmm. And it looks like that from the outside when you don't dig into it. But then when you start digging into it, you realize that, you know, what is a nation? What is a, what is a country? What is your, uh, how do you identify? And people identify by, by traditions, by cultures, by, um, by the upbringing, by what their fathers used to do, their great-grandfathers, they're going back many, many years. And this is, that's, that's stability there. That's unity over there. And that's what monarchies represent. And that's something that you don't, I think you sort of gather this, um, this traditional view, conservative view, I guess, the older you get. I only became a full-fledged monarchist and more traditional with a more traditional mindset, especially after having my, um, my son. That changes you. And that's what life is about. It's about you know, installing a better future for your children. And what's, you know, you want to install a better future by creating, um, by, by creating stability, peace, and unity. And that's really what a monarchy brings. And a monarchy brings that protection of the family, um, protection of your house, protection of the houses, protection of the nation, protection of your private property. And these are things that get taken away when you start prescribing to other ideologies, which... You know, if we go to the other extreme of what socialism, communism is, is that it's, you know, we're all egalitarian or we're all the same. So therefore, what's the point of having property? Then that's, that's, a, that's, that's you know, that doesn't, that doesn't fly. That doesn't work. You know, in the practice that sounds all great and, dyst, uh, and, and, and utopian-like, but in, in one person's utopian is another person's dystopia. So, no. I think when people start to study what monarchy actually means, what it does and how it's uh, how it's a, such a benefit to, to 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 societies, even in their in their uh, more diluted form of constitutional parliamentary monarchies, no one can argue the fact that uh, the the the, um, the constitutional monarchies of this world are much more stable nations than the republics of this world um, in the develop in the just say, the developed world. Um, you just have to look at you know list them off that my head is like Norway, Sweden. Netherlands, Belgium, United Kingdom, Spain, um, Japan. Yeah, there's issues today, but then with, well, I should say with uh, with energy crises and the likes of that. But otherwise, these countries of the last 30, 40, 30 years have actually been all very, very stable compared to others. Yeah, it's it's interesting to speculate how much because i think we would both agree that so much of our global society today is a result of what fiat enables mm -hmm. in terms of power imbalances and systems of governance and coercion and theft and, and all of that kind of stuff and so 
how much of what we see and, and, you know, as Bitcoiners, we talk about this all the time in, in various forms of culture, like how the culture has been influenced by the monetary system and, you know, governance is as much a part of culture as anything else. And it's, I wonder how much our systems of governance have been influenced by that. Now, certainly our dominant systems of governance today began to emerge in advance of the global fiat currency era. So you, I don't think you can create a direct causal link, but certainly they've been able to amass far more power and influence and control than they otherwise would have mm -hmm. as a result of the global fiat monetary system. And so that makes me wonder, is our critique of them you know, more so as a result of that, as a control of the money and absent that control, would that form of governance be more be more palatable to people like you and I, or has that issue and, you know, a result of ones that preceded it caused us to, to depart from, as you said, recognizing the cultural and social and historical and pragmatic benefits of a monarchy. Because I, I think one of the things that we, one of the critiques that I have of the world today, I won't speak for anybody else, is that so we, we've lost the value and meaning of so much, you know, it's like, you know, a lot of people, especially young people have mm -hmm. this like apathetic, nihilistic, meaningless sort of attitude. Nothing means anything. Who cares about whatever, who cares about the future? There's no God, there's no, you know, mm -hmm. there, there, there's an, there's a, there's an emptiness and for better or for worse, you know, and you could point at certain, as you just did, you could point at modern examples to say perhaps for the better. And of course, there's always examples to um, counterbalance that, like, you know, monarchies that were tyrannical in, in, in whatever way. But I think it's a fairly safe argument to make that that institution helped preserve and uh, uphold a certain set of values and a certain cultural legacy and a certain hierarchy of values, really, yes. that was very had a very cohesive influence, but also even more deep than that, helped resolve that emptiness that you might otherwise feel, you know? And, and uh, there's a lot mixed up in this, of course, too. Like religion is another one that I've been exploring a lot lately. And, you know, we live in this so-called post-enlightenment time where, you know, there's no need for the notion of God anymore. And that is compounded and made worse by, you know, the atrocities that have mm. been carried out in the name of God mm, in the yeah. past. And so those two things together cause a lot of people to say, we, you know, to dismiss it, but whatever, wherever you line up on that argument, I think it's sufficient to say that if you don't have something else to put in that place, that's as meaningful, that's as helpful in orienting oneself in their life and in the world and what they want to devote themselves to, then I think you're going to have problems. And I think that's part of the problems we're witnessing in, in culture today, that there's this, you know, there's God-shaped hole in everyone's hearts, so to speak. As mm -hmm. I, I can't remember who you coined that, that phrase. That's beautiful, yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I, I get the, the aspect of how beneficial it can be from a cultural standpoint and how that can be so beneficial on an individual level to help people orient themselves in their life and, and, um, and, and all of that. But I guess the perhaps part of the problem is is convincing people of the rationale or the logic or 
to accept that someone by virtue of their birth is elevated above them, not by virtue of merit. And I think that's one mm. that in the modern era, people have a difficult time with. That is a hard one to, um, something that I, that I challenged myself with a few years back, but I say, where'd you land? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, it's easier to say that it's, uh, that it's the argument is easier said, uh, it's easier resolved in my, in my, in my shoes than, than someone else's shoes. Because right, right. But then I say that, I say that, but then no, but then, okay, you could say that, but then am I, am I part of a functioning monarchy? No, I'm not. Am I part? Am I in? A, in a, am I getting paid by the people to uh, by by people? Am I being compensated, taxed, or by by people to be to be who I am? No, I'm not. What then? I look back to what happens then. What happened then? Um, uh, Eighty years ago, when all the property was taken away by my family, that was that happened not just to ourselves, but it happened to many other people. So. That is something that you have to fight for. That's what made me more of a monarch as well. Not just the family values, not just the the the, the succession and the, and the and the stability and the continuation, but actually the the um, the rights of property. Um, that's we as look. I it's a burden to be to be a monarch. I think at the end of the day, you are not as free as everyone else. Actually, it's probably worse to be a monarch. It's best to be to be someone living in a stable monarchy than it is to be the monarch himself, and that's what my conclusion was. That yes, I don't, well, that's the whole idea. Yeah. You're the one that's supposed to be held to the highest yes, standard exactly. that others can, can can try to emulate and look to for guidance. And this is what yeah, my my uh, me logically thinking. That's how I ended up to, uh, convincing myself. Other people also told me, you know, they gave me their their views and stuff. But this is how I ended up seeing it myself. You had to like, you know, I had to. Uh, had to have many, many sessions of just speaking, you know, like thinking about it myself. And that's how you feel is that you are the same as everyone else, but you hold something that's, that's not yours. That's something that's, that is, that's everyone else's, but you have to not look after it, but it's, it's something that everyone else has to look after at the same time. And only if, if, only if other people are good and you're good, that this thing is protected. So it's, uh. It's like you are a representation of the country, but the country's also, it's hard to explain, but um, I feel like, you know, I'm like a caretaker, I'm the burden holder and things like that. And I'm not the monarch itself. It's my father who would be monarch, but this is, we're not part of the system as well. Um, but it's a difficult, it's a difficult one. These are the struggles that you have with oneself, thinking about who, what you represent as being a prince, as being part of a, a, a royal family, which I, I yeah, yes, it is. They, they are central. A royal family is centralized, but the individual in the royal, uh, royal family make it decentralized. Um, and this is what a family is. The family is a set of hierarchy of, of, um, of uh, you know, you have pipe. A patriarchy in in, in 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 is the sort of setup of a Serbian family. Yeah, you get some matriarchies in di different different cultures, but this this idea is uh... no. I'm going off on a tangent over here. I think. <laughs> well, it's a, no, no, it's fine. It, it's a it's a tough question to answer. You know, it makes me think of Peterson, who's who's spoken a lot about the role of the king, effectively, in traditional societies of the past, mm -hmm. but also the relationship between the king and the system of faith or the tradition of religion in that, in that system. And, and basically he, he takes a hierarchical view of it as well. Mm. He's saying like the king is meant to be that idea almost at the top of the hierarchy, that thing to aspire to that ideal to attempt to emulate. And the idea that's supposed to restrain 
his power because ostensibly yes. he's at the top of the power hierarchy is the grander power, you know, the, the, of the religious ideas, that realm. And the reason why there's so much interplay between the two and there's so much ritual that involves the two the is to church, remind the church and the, yes, exactly always is, is to go into this, is to yeah. contextualize mm -hmm. that relationship and make sure that the king is continuously almost humbled or fenced in by the system of faith but also that the king stewards that system of faith properly so that it can have its maximal benefit for on, the people it's a check on each other's powers and and, and that's there is a form of decentralization that Right, and that's yeah. why one thing is uh, the support of the church of the reinstatement of monarchy is it's basically we have the support of the church, but yeah, the church here it's it's part of the it's 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 very big it's very influential but is it influential enough to to reinstate the monarchy? Um, no, it's politics over here is uh, it's big it's the thing. Do you but, think it's going to happen? Look, I, I'm not the one gunning for it to happen on, under my name. Uh, still, it's not under my name at the moment. It's my father's name. He's yeah, he's yeah. like 77, so I don't, you know, you know, I don't know what's going to happen under his name, and don't know what's going to happen under my name. What I'm trying to do is make it happen at some point in time, and that is sooner rather than later. So if it happens under my name, fantastic, great. But if it happens under my son's name, I'll be so happy for it. If it says if if someone later in the year says, okay, your son can be king, but not you, I'll be so supportive of that. And I hope I'll teach my son that you know that it's not about the being the king. It's a you know it's the it's about the what what it represents and what we've just been talking about. So yeah. that's what cementing a a, a a solid future is. And and part of that is is trying to sort out the monetary system, which is why I'm really into Bitcoin. <laughs> right. And you know, it's funny. Sorry, no, no, ahead. just why I'm, I'm also very much into decentralization as well. And yes, as I said, monarchy is a centralized form of, uh, of, of power, but uh, I also believe in on, a, on that of, uh, of a, uh, that the monarchy adds that stability of the, of the culture, of the, of the traditions, and the, um, it holds that all together with the church. And that's the other, that's the other pillar of, 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 of tradition and culture. But it's with that you'll have a society of... Um, Oh, let's call it um, anarcho-capitalist around that. <laughs> they actually, I think that would go hand in hand, in my opinion. But I think we're very, very, very far away from something like that. That would be uh, more or less an ideal situation. Not a utopia. There's no such thing as utopia, in my opinion. But I'm just thinking that that is, seems logical, that there's houses there, there's families. And families, houses, that's the hierarchy of society. And people make money, they lose money. And this is the cycle of life, really. That's the way, it sh that's the way it's always, that's the way it should be. And that should be left uh, to, be, to, to happen uh, freely. Yeah. Well, I think there's a strong case to be made. You know, if you look at the philosopher kings, philosopher kings so-called throughout history, like perhaps life under them was better than any other form of government ever mm. but the problem is you know on the good side you get the philosopher kings on the bad side you get the tyrannical kings and you know how do you how do you square that well, quite but, often the, know, tyrannical, the tyrannical kings quite often get uh shot don't last that long yeah they don't yeah. last shot hung so self-correcting mechanism yeah, exactly. to a degree <laughs> yeah but you know you mentioned you mentioned freedom and you also mentioned that your your first like coming out party as it relates to bitcoin was on this uh serbian uh, nightly show. And, um, I watched it and two things I noticed one, when you were describing your current asset management job, there was like, 
it was boring as hell. You were just like, well, I, you know, <laughs> analyzed some stuff for some clients and, you know, whatever. You, you, you weren't very inspired as you were um, articulating or describing what you do. And then when he asked about crypto and you said, you know, not crypto, Bitcoin. And he asked like, why? And you said, Bitcoin is freedom. And your eyes lit up and you had a big smile on your face. <laughs> and, um, you know, one, that was just so great to see. And two, of course, I share that sentiment uh, entirely. And I think that's, you know, what a lot, a lot of us are in this for and mm. what we're, we're striving to achieve. And so it's, you know, it's, um, it's interesting that you have that attitude both with Bitcoin, but also, you know, I think that's the right attitude, I guess is what I'm trying to say for an aspiring, you know, monarch or someone who at least believes in the merits of that form of governance. Um, but the, the, as you were describing, and as we were talking about the pressure on, on assuming that role, um, and that you've only in recent years kind of come to, since the birth of your son, come to appreciate the value of assuming that role and all of the, you know, perhaps the changes required of you to fulfill it in a manner that makes you worthy of it, let's say. Um, another interesting phenomenon with Bitcoin is that it tends to start causing people to see things differently. Mm -hmm. Not, you know, money, of course, but money is such a lens for everything else that it yes. causes you to see yes. politics and society and culture and religion and value, like all sorts of other things differently. And that, that often produces a fairly profound behavioral change in people, because of course you change your perspective, you change your system of values and what you see, you're going to, your behavior is going to change. And as a result of that. And so, you know, in your unique situation, I, I'm wondering if, you know, you've got that force of kind of awakening to Bitcoin and having your perception changed as a result of that, but also you're, you're stepping in or you're attempting to step into a role that expects much more of you than prior to doing so. And is probably forcing you to kind of open your mind to new things, new ideas, to seeing the value and things that you may not have seen as clearly before. And that I, I assume, and it sounds like has would produce and has produced changes in behavior. So I'm just curious, like between those two massive forces of, of almost like personal refinement, if I can use an umbrella mm -hmm. term, you know, what's it, has that, induced a lot of you know personal change in, in in how you see the world and how you act in the last few years it has it's um it's been it's as the old saying goes uh, you can't change bitcoin but bitcoin changes you really holds true and now my journey it's uh, it's it's been beautiful but it hasn't it hasn't been clean it hasn't been uh let's say it hasn't been smooth going through some of these changes are not easy you know i was a little bit more let's say a little bit more wild a few years back and uh, now i'm a become a little bit more disciplined and a bit more hardworking, I guess. And this, and it's, I think, but also trying to f be within in a peace with myself and being good with myself. Cause I've, I've realized that it's, you know, that it's all about, I think it's about, you know, if you are at peace with yourself, then you can help others better. If you are in control of yourself, if you are, if you've taken care of yourself, that will help your neighbors your uh, your wife your son your parents and your stuff better than 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 if you're just caring if you start caring about other people and you're not really focusing yourself that just creates chaos in my opinion mm -hmm. um so yeah this this feeling of um trying to you know after uh of being of of being a sovereign individual as 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 that you know that great book by um 
what's his name, uh, Davidson and Reese Mogg. You know, you, yeah. you need. I think this is really important. That's what freedom is, and that's when I spoke about when I when I went and on the talk show Ivan Ivanovich. So when I when I said Bitcoin and freedom, that just came out naturally. I never thought of that before. I just said it. I don't think I read it or anything, but it just came out naturally because it felt it felt that way, and right. and that felt that's that's really what it means to me. That's that's something that we, yeah, that's something that we should all strive for. I think it's something that a lot of us have forgotten what freedom is. You know, this is what uh, made big documents, big historical documents are are are, uh, are about, and this is what they have. You know, I'm talking about the Constitution of America. You know, the First Amendments and this, things like that, the Second Amendment. You know, things things like that. We and going back to the Magna Carta as well. We need to make sure that we're taught this before, because if, if we forget what these documents are designed to do, then we will be in the point of having to defend them to the point that they might get destroyed. So this is what this is what the things, the, the thoughts I have in my head of of, of my my journey in in, in 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 Bitcoin and seeing seeing so many things as well, seeing what uh, about being about the energy situation in the world. You know, a few years back I was a bit of a um, I was a bit of a, you know, I would say carbon not, but I said, oh yeah, you know, clean energy, renewables, it's about that. And, you know, um, but then I realized that, 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 that's all bullshit. <laughs> it's there just to make money. This whole ESG world, it's there just to make another way of repackaging financial products so we can, uh, so some people can make a few more bucks and that's now backfiring big time. Um, yeah, it, you just... Yeah, you just see so much in the world. It opens your eyes to so much, and you as an individual change so much. And really, it's it's the main reason I'm doing this. Really, it's actually yeah, not it's not just it's not for myself. It's for my it's for my for my son, for my for my children's, and hopefully children's children's. I think a big and I'm I speak for I've spoken to a lot of Bitcoiners at this point. And I know a lot of us feel the same way, right? I mean, even in advance of having the fully articulated thoughts in your mind, like, as you said, on, on the talk show, it just, you were asked a question and something came out naturally. And that something was the, the importance of freedom and the degree to which Bitcoin can provide that. And that's not just theoretical. Like it's something you feel, mm. at least again, I'll speak for myself. It's something you feel like this technology allows you to feel a greater degree of freedom than you certainly I've ever experienced before, and you might be able to make the case that any human has experienced before by virtue of how novel it is as a technology. And that conjures up so many questions in your minds like, well, what is freedom and what is value? And what are the responsibilities that come with freedom? And how much, you know, how, what does freedom look like in an interpersonal or social environment, in a, in a system of governance? How should it look? And of course, when you, really start to feel it. And when your perception is almost tuned toward looking at things through that lens of freedom, of course, you're going to look out on, well, maybe not, of course, but in hindsight, of course, you're going to look out on the world we have today and be like, oh man, <laughs> the, the, the effects of freedom being either withheld by, from people or abdicated by people are everywhere mm. in the world yes. today. Yes. You can just point them at you, you know, walk down the street, open up, you know, Twitter, whatever, and so many different things you can just point and you can see the result of, of freedom being taken or abdicated and, and the deleterious consequences of that. And I think part of people that get involved in, in Bitcoin and start to be 
changed as a result of, of this technology really is that they, they come to appreciate that more. They come to have more clarity on the importance of it. And then they realize that they need to change themselves to be more, to be able to take responsibility for greater freedom in their life. Right. So maybe it starts with Bitcoin. Maybe it starts with having your wealth in 12 words in your head. And there's, you know, that's an insane amount of freedom, but then it, it pushes out from there to see, well, how far, how much freedom can be established and what's the proper balance to strike in a, in a society. And again, as a result of being on a fiat standard, global fiat standard since 1971 and the kind of egregious violations of property and therefore freedom that have resulted from that, you look out on the world today with, with that newfound freedom lens and it, it's, it's quite dark. And you see, you know, you mentioned the, the ESG mandates and all this stuff. You, you, you see the manifestations of coercion and dictates everywhere. And it, it really seems like for a lot of people, freedom is almost a scary thing, both on an individual level and, and on, a, on a social level. It's like, as you said, wouldn't it be better if free markets just found the most efficient and most cost, uh, you know, and the lowest cost form of energy and for the, all the products that it wanted to produce and allow innovation to, as it always does be generated out of that and seek ever in, in the case of energy, seek ever more dense forms of energy and allow, you know, allow things to flourish as a result of that. But instead out of almost a fear well, a fear and a desire to control, you get all of these perversions imposed on top of, of what free acting individuals might otherwise do. And because that imposition is necessarily so narrow in its scope, so narrow in its ability to collect data and, and presume to determine des- desired outcomes, the consequent, the negative consequences are going to be so the unintended negative consequences are going to be so great. And I think that's what we're seeing so broadly in the world today. Yeah, I think what you said about uh, the 12 words in your head, that gives, you, gives, us, gives you a lot more, um, more responsibility. You act more responsible that way. You know, you, you can make one small mistake and that's it. You can lose your wealth. And this is something that we uh, that we lack is resp- a lot of responsibility in this world. The fiat system, stand- the fiat standard, makes us sloppy. You're able to uh, sort of cover up people's messes by borrowing more, just like just patching things, parts of society here by taking out from there and putting it into there. It's 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 messy. It's sloppy. It's disgusting. It's horrible. I think. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, it's 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 something that um that I think a lot of people have to go through. Because they think, because they uh, people right now, this why this is why socialism is so easily is easily accepted these days, is because uh, they feel that they've been hard done by the the economical problems of uh, of inequality, which they blame on 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 entrepreneur on on monopolies and entrepreneurship, which is not the case. It's actually the centralized you know centralized uh, governments and 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 the fiat system being able to allocate it inefficiently. That they, they still think it's uh, that if you know if we impose socialism, more centralization, that they will be able to get what they what they deserve. But actually, no, that's not the case. They'll actually have more of their freedoms taken away. Um, but people feel that they're owed. They're owed 
for, uh, for, for the hardship they're living right now. They're owed because of the higher rents that they're paying. They're owed because of the, of the lack of pay, because of the inflation and things like that. They're owed because, because society is breaking down. And I think that's a really dangerous mindset. It's, and that ties into the whole nihilism you're talking about before. Then because of that, we lose, we lose value, we lose family, we lose, the, we lose uh, wanting, to, wanting to build a better future because we think there's no hope in the world. And we're putting that hope on someone else when really it should be focused on you being more responsible. And this is why those people, it would be hard for those people to accept the free market, as, you know, the individualism. But I think a lot of people are going to learn the hard way. And yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I agree. And, you know, hopefully all of our rantings and ravings and articles and podcasts and stuff, well, they certainly are. You know, Bitcoin is remarkable, not only for the solution that it provides, but the, the manner in which it in, educates about what it is. You know, so getting someone to uh, read the Austrians, right, the Austrian economists, very small portion of the population are going to do that, right? But everyone's greedy. Everyone wants more wealth. So the kind of number go up technology that sucks people into yes, Bitcoin initially. Yes, yes. And then if they stick around, then they start to get the education. Then they start to that's, see all these things more clearly. That's where I am right it's now. Such an, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's such a viral way of educating about what is, you know, very important for the structure of, of society and orienting yourself in the world. Yeah. That's exactly where I am right now. Um, you know, I got sucked in because numbers go up, but also got told, yeah, look, it's it's a really good thing about uh, about about inflation. You'll never be able to have more than twenty one million Bitcoin. I was like, oh, fantastic, that's great. And that was about as much knowledge I had as I had of Bitcoin in two thousand seventeen, and I got into the other shit coins. But as I said before, it's started to really, you know, started to do more um, reading into it. Joined Bitcoin Twitter, Twitter, Twitter and uh, listening to some podcasts when it really starts to uh, make make proper sense, and you're like, oh shit. Yeah. <laughs> then you learn things like the, the difficulty adjustment ratio, uh, uh, difficulty adjustment, and things like that. And you're like, oh wow, I get it. Okay, that's so cool. And you know, <laughs> and yeah, yeah it's it, the penny just drops, and then it's like my epiphanies like every other day. Exactly. You know, exactly. you just your mind gets blown every other day. Exactly. Well, and I was Joe just to um, say that you know five, you know a few years back, you know five ten years ago, like say seven years eight years ago, I as I had socialist leanings tendencies, you know. Uh, so if I'm just going to say to anyone out there that, uh, you know, if you're still believing in social, you know, if you still have socialist tendencies, then, uh, there is hope. <laughs> I used to be one and now I'm, I'm, now I'm a Bitcoin maximalist. I'm a free market maximalist. I'm, uh, <laughs> and there is hope for people like that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, <laughs> I mean, I've, no, there is, there is. I've had many conversations with them on the podcast where same sort of story, you know, like on this, you know card carrying on the street protesting socialist a year ago fell down the bitcoin rabbit hole yeah. and now because they mean well a lot of, a lot of people in socialism they mean yeah. well they just want things they just want difference they want people to to be well not a lot of them are there for uh, for people to be equal or something but a lot of them are just because they want fairness they want mm -hmm. they want some sort of equality but they just want fairness they want people they don't want to be hard done by and socialism is such an easy route to be to be captured to, to, yeah. to try and well it's easy so easy well, it, it it preys on people's compassion because as yes. you say you know they, they they want people to be happy and okay and and you know you, they want fairness as you said uh they're just going about it the wrong way and I, I do sometimes wonder it's almost like the arrow is in the wrong direction for that 
cohort of people. So the, the arrow is saying the solutions are derived by someone else outside yes. of me, and that's the government. That's the big monolith, the godlike figure, if you will, that is able to rectify everything. And so we just have to put enough pressure on them to rectify our problem and everything That's will be well. It, yeah. But of course, the opposite is what happens. So it, it, that makes the problems worse because as you said before, as they allocate capital, they do so less efficiently than a, than a market would and therefore they destroy capital exactly. and make problems worse. Yes. Whereas if the arrow was reversed and was pointed back to the individual, which I think is very much what's going on in this whole Bitcoin revolution, it's saying, no, you are responsible. So you take more responsibility, not less. You don't abdicate. You don't look for the solutions outward. You generate them inward. Yes, and that's exactly. how that's how you get. That's how you resolve the problems that you're identifying, but pursuing the imp an improper solution. And I think that's one thing about you know the whole decentralization argument is once you realize that socialism is all about centralization, and 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 once I understood Bitcoin and really, really understood the decentralization aspect of it, that's when you just then look at socialism. It's so it just does not make any sense at all. And then you start to look at other examples, other examples of decentralization, how it works across the world. Not that I'm totally against centralization. I'm just saying, you know, like I think in monarchies and some companies and places like that, in the family, you have centralized. There's examples of functioning centralizations, but on the whole, decentralized systems. Uh, do far better than not than 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 not than than centralized. Um, take for example uh, the I'd say probably the only the best functioning non monarchy uh, um, democracy is Switzerland um, <laughs> because of its canton. We don't know. There's no there's no uh, president of Switzerland. You have the presidents of the different cantons. And they all have their own set of rules, and because of that, they uh, they actually that democracy there works to some extent, and they're actually quite a very peaceful, prosperous country, and not too small as well. Um, I mean, you look at nature as well. I mean, you look at a you look at tumor, uh, a malignant tumor does a lot better at killing you than a than a uh, centralized uh, benign tumor. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. <laughs> But you know, one one of the things that I we were talking about, and maybe this is a good segue into your work with the Orthodox Church, because that's certainly fascinating to me. But I also wonder if if you have that orientation, right? If you have big daddy government, the all powerful is supposed to fix everything for me, resolve everything for me, you know, all I need to do is communicate enough to it and exert enough pressure. You can almost see why and I don't know if we want to even embark on this rabbit hole, but I'll get the thought out and then, you know, we can decide if we want to, but you can almost see why that group would no longer perceive a need for a relationship with an alternative higher power. This kind of going back to this idea of the apathy and nihilism that we were discussing earlier, because there's this thing that they presume is all powerful. That is what generates solutions in their life. But if ever, as we were saying, as a result of this reversing the orientation, and for many people, this being inspired by Bitcoin and saying, no, I'm the, the, the locus of mm -hmm. my own, like I'm in, responsible for my own life and I'm responsible for the things I want to happen. And I have to be the one to generate all those things and take responsibility for them. I can, I can, I can appreciate that it might conjure up in people like the, such ideas as, well, from where do I derive my strength in order to do that? From where do I derive my ability to take such a high degree of responsibility first for myself 
then for my family, then for my community, then for human, excuse me, for humanity, you know? And again, I, I don't want to pull too many strings here, but, uh, it seems to be the case that coinciding with, you know, big government socialist attitudes is of course a, or is not of course, but seems to be, um, a rejection of religion or spirituality. Mm. And I wonder if that's simply because, you know, if you perceive an all powerful entity external to you, that's, uh, resolving everything, perhaps you don't necessarily need something that allows you to, to conjure up more strength within yourself to take more responsibility for all the different facets of your life. And so, I don't know, is that a good segue into what yeah, you've been doing with it, the, the Orthodox yes, church? Look, it's, um, I think it gives you the, uh, the, it gives you, uh, it does give you strength. Not that I believe in God or not. Maybe I do, maybe I don't, but I know that God definitely exists in those in the minds of people that believe in him. And that's, that's, I think that's really powerful. That's, I don't think that giving up all their power, all their strength, to, no, they gain strength from God, to, they, which makes them believe in themselves. Well, and, that's, yeah, yeah, that's a, kind of what I'm getting. Yeah, exactly. And I think that gives people the, uh, the strength to go about life. And they know that life is unfair, that they're going to make mistakes. And that's why you get asked for forgiveness. And that's why, you, I don't know, it's, it's, it's made me... Coming back to Serbia, going to church more has really made me um, really, it's, it's hard. It's, it's, it's turned me into family, man. Turned me into, it's, it's made me really look into my family values. As I said before, I keep on banging on family values, but that is what, that's what life is. I mean, so you can probably hear my wife and son are probably next door right now. They, they go back home. <laughs> and... and but but does it does it not make you think like again we talk about hierarchies of power in, in the sense of governance and monarchy, and maybe hierarchies of meaning, mm. right? We think like oh man, now that I've had a child and now I have a family and now I have a legacy to consider, you know, meaning kind of comes to the fore in terms of what is meaningful to you, what is most valuable, what do you want to pursue in life, you know? Whereas before maybe it was just more money, now it's no a healthy, stable, a healthy child, a stable family. Mm and growing out from there. And I, I think it is natural to conjure up questions like, well, is there something broader in which we're nestled within that I'm simply a part of, you know, and do I derive strength from that and meaning from that as well? And does it act through me in, in the meaning that I'm ascribing to things? Mm. I mean, I go to church, I go visit the different monasteries around and I see so much beauty in the art, in the icon, in the iconography in the frescoes that you see that are, that are almost a millennia old and I see so much history and that's how it's preserved and how, and, and then I speak to lot to monks and to, to, to fathers, to, um, to abbots and to bishops and to the patriarch himself. That's the hierarchy going up from, from bottom to top, I guess. Yeah. And they, they give you, they have such a, it's such a calm view on life. They have such a good, exp uh, I don't, they've, they've given me, they've given so much wisdom about different situations in your life. When I'm having problems with like, with, uh, with my parents, for example, I've spoken to some of them and they've just really made me think things different, uh, not differently, but just they, they really focus on, 
I'm really not how to articulate this, but it's they really offer oh, clarity, clarity, help you get clarity, clarity with yourself, on. with your individual, and where how you are, how you as an individual can make a difference. Yeah, and that it's not about it's not about other people. Don't think about other people. Don't think about uh, what so and so is doing. Don't think about what so and so is saying about you. Just don't think about what they're doing that could be destro- des- destroying you. Don't think about that. No, think about yourself. Think about how you can make a difference for yourself and make your life better. But you know about your family, the people that you love, and things like this. These are the, this is what they, I keep on getting repeated at me all the time. Mm-hmm. And it yeah, it become it makes you become. People think, oh yeah, if you have to think about yourself all the time, you become self, you become quite selfish. But no, I think it ends up you become. This is one of the paradoxes: is that you end up end up becoming really selfless in that respect. Mm. And you'd realize that life is not all about you. Your life is about protecting you so you can help others. I don't know. That's one way to put it, I guess. I totally agree. And, and part of thinking about yourself is making sure you're capable of caring for and thinking about and giving mm. to others. So it's, it's, it's the, as you said, it's the opposite of selfishness, really. Like you have to have a certain degree of self-consciousness, of self-interest, so that you can refine and develop yourself into someone that's capable of giving more, providing more value, being more there for your family, whatever context we want to construe it in. But I, I totally agree with that. And, you know, I, I know this is potentially a sensitive subject that, you know, spirituality kind of always is, but I, I've been, it's been interesting for me to witness how people that get really into Bitcoin, that kind of see the orange light, as it were, <laughs> um, end up seeing another kind of light, if I can extend the analogy or the metaphor, you know, like a lot of, a lot of Bitcoiners are starting to revisit spirituality mm-hmm. and in, in various forms. I mean, a, a lot of it is within the Christian lens, but not exclusively. And I find that I'm almost not surprised by it, given my own experiences with Bitcoin, but it is very interesting that once, as, we, as we've been discussing, once people experience a greater degree of freedom than ever before, and a greater degree of responsibility and see the state of the world as it is, see how the world, what the world might become, you know, this amplified sense of hope now on the horizon. Somehow, and for some reason, or for some mechanism that, you know, we only partially understand, there seems to be a renewed interest in these ideas. And so, you know, and that's opposed to the, the more modern or postmodern attitude towards them, which is just archaic garbage forget about it like kick it to the can we don't need that stuff anymore you know as as, again as we were saying like once the fiat lens comes off and you put the bitcoin lens on everything needs to be reconsidered because you're you're reassessing things from such a more fundamental basis i would argue and that includes something like religion it's it's almost like uh the fiat world has been a bad nightmare this really bad <laughs> nightmare it's like a horrible dream and it really is because everything's become too fictional too um fake and and really we we, we need to get back to where we were <laughs> uh, where we yeah. took where, where 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 from you know from from the good old gold days and obviously we found something better than gold so that's what led to us to, to the fiat the, the fiat nightmare and now we <laughs> Yeah. yeah, and I think that's part of this this impulse for everyone to refine themselves as as we've been discussing, because there's this recognition like, wow, like we could reflect on one of the, the golden eras of, of history, right? Whether it's like the late 1800s or, you know, golden era in Greece or Roman period, Egypt, whatever. And the the the, 
the impression is that we now have the tools that might allow us to have a more golden era than ever before, mm-hmm. right? Or the, an orange era, you know, if, if <laughs> you want to put it in Bitcoin terms. And I think that also, that, that ambition to meet that potential, to see something so great, the potential for something so great on the horizon pulls you forward in, in various does, ways, if yeah. you're receptive to it, of course. And I think that's an, another reason why these transformations seem to be taking shape because people want to make themselves capable of engaging that to the extent possible. And that means refining yourself in a variety of ways yeah. so that you can. Yeah, that's it. Oh, it gives you hope. You know, I've, has... No, 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 no oh, sorry. Has, I, my, before I move on to the next subject, I mean, again, I don't want to harp on this, but it's such an interesting vantage point given your, you know, your status to be able to uh, observe and be involved in like these um, rituals and, and your involvement with the Orthodox mm. church. And you mentioned already how, you know, how they've been helpful to you and how the symbolism is so striking. And so, and it's been, it's been so beneficial to people. Has it been cultivating a kind of different perception in your own mind as it relates to both the institution and what the institution is ostensibly attempting to steward for people? Like, you know, has it influenced your approach to quote unquote spirituality? Yes, yes, yeah. I, I, I say it has. I have yeah, how to explain it. I think well look look <laughs> I think that big um I think the relationship between Bitcoin, monarchy and and religion has is 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 it's actually something that I'm still exploring right now and and I'm seeing so many beautiful synergies and similarities. And I'm really still learning every day. So I'm not able to express myself so well these days. And I'm going as just now recently I was in the uh, I, I was at the um enthronements of the uh of the of the patriarch in uh, in in Petch, which we talked about. And seeing that culture and history for so many uh, that's been going on for almost a millennia, it's it's unchanged pretty much. The only thing that's changed is they put some a microphone and some speakers in the back of the church and people so people could hear it. I was even think suggesting to get rid of it. <laughs> so we could do it the old proper old school way. I mean, I think you know get make it as uh, as as traditional as possible. Um yeah, it's it's still a journey I'm going through right now and I'm and when I something that I'll probably want to teach, well not teach but share my experiences as I as as I come along further down the, down the line, something that hopefully will, uh, will instill in my son in, 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 in the years to come. Yeah. Well, I, I very much look forward to that because you've obviously, you obviously have a very unique vantage point from both your status and being early and interested in Bitcoin and all of that kind of stuff. So I'm sure your, your insights and your experiences would, would be very interesting to a lot of people. Um, what's it like? I mean, I, I, I get the sense that you're fairly like free to speak your mind, mm-hmm. as you said earlier, like there's not too many restrictions on you. Um, but when you're speaking with other people in your social mix, you know, whether it's other monarchs or politicians or clergy or, the, or whomever, how receptive are they to 
I mean, first of all, do you bring up Bitcoin? I do. And do you try to make the case? I mean, I, I know in your work, your work now with Jan3, it's like, you know, part of your job. So you certainly do in some respects. Um, what is it? What are those conversations like, you know, um, with with that group of people? I Well, with my personal friends, I my good old friends from back in the, you know, from back from the London, living in London and, and things like that. I'm one of the only Maxis still, uh, well, Still, still, the only maxi, one of the only maxis. It's, it's, and I've tried to speak to a few of them, but they're still very. They're crypto bros. A few of them are, few of them are crypto bros, and a few of them are just, you know, just still fiat, very fiat mindset, which is, I guess, it's right. normal. But I haven't, since I've become a, a maxi, I haven't had the opportunity to, to start drilling them yet. I was actually only back in London for the first time a couple of weeks ago, for the first time in two years since, since I first started becoming a maxi. And that was during the pandemic when uh when we weren't really allowed to socialize too much right so right. i need <laughs> i haven't had that opportunity to, to go to some dinner tables and start you know start uh ranting on about the problems of the world and bringing up bitcoin everywhere but then in back in serbia since my serbian's not that good i haven't been able to 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 um to tune my uh my serbian into 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 a strong bitcoin uh orange pilling um level but having said that, I have I do bring it up quite a lot, and to, especially with people who have a good understanding of English, because I'm able to communicate to them in uh, uh, Bitcoin in English. That I go, I, I quite often go straight to the subject, and quite often my wife actually tells me I should be going into the subject. So she's not one of those people who's like, "Oh, stop orange peeling people, stop trying to." She's like, "No, no, 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 speak, speak, speak them about what you do, speak them about what you do, what you're into and stuff." So. Yeah, I have her to, to thank as well for, for um, bringing up the subject. I brought up the subject in front of the to the patriarch. I think I just talked about this and I told him how it, became, it made me become more religious and how it's helped me being uh, more enlightened to, uh, to, um, to traditions and, cult and to culture and family values and all that. And so I, th I think that opened his eyes a little bit. So I'll, I'll did, he, did he have a response no, to that? No, no, this was a lunch a, f a couple of months ago. So I'll mention it again. I was sitting next to him at lunch during the time. When I sit next to him at lunch again and it should happen soon enough, I will, uh, I'll, I'll budge him on that. So it's, it's a slow process, you know, but that's what... Bitcoin is right, it's uh it's 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 uh we're in we're in the long in the long run for the I mean yeah it's it's gonna take a while I speak to um uh ambassadors I've just recently had lunch with a Brazilian ambassador I bought bought up Bitcoin he says oh yeah that's the future we should be embracing it. and I said yeah that's great make sure it's only Bitcoin I want to make some entries into Brazil because of that I have family right. I have because my mother is Brazilian of Brazilian um descent as well she's Brazilian royal family and so I would like to get into that. I didn't even know Brazil had a royal family until I was preparing for this conversation. <laughs> uh, she, yes, yeah, so she's, uh, yeah, so Brazilian royal family. They have uh, one of the, uh, one of my cousins um, from one of the, from the, one of the branches of the, of the Orleans Braganza, which is the royal family name there. He's actually a member of parliament in Sao Paulo. So who knows, maybe I'll reach out to him. And who knows, I will try to reach out <laughs> right. and make the right steps, making sure, because I just heard that Brazil is looking for, uh, to, to advise on their uh, new crypto law. They're looking for uh, some blockchain and crypto experts. So is the prop, so that's the issue that we've experienced all over the world right now. So we're going to make sure yeah. that they're properly advised. <laughs> and 
any other like royalty that you speak to about this and I, uh, do they care? Are they indifferent? Uh, I haven't had the opportunity to open up to some of them yet. Um, I would like to start conversations with the Liechtenstein royal family, but I think they're already pretty much halfway there given that they practice Austrian economics. Well, at least they right. practice, at least they, uh, at least Prince Hans Adam wrote the book on, on, Aust- on, um, on, uh, which pretty much talks, he wrote it in the, in the, in 2002, three, and he pretty much explains the problem and needs, says he needs a, We need a solution. And that solution is Bitcoin, but he's 82 now and sort of somewhat semi-retired. So I'll have to hopefully, th- hopefully his son or brother, I think, uh, Prince Philip, who's taking more of the duty there, is 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 sees the way that his father sees or brother sees. I know. So that's a conversation I got to start. Um, Man, it's hard to think if, if you're a monarch in the world today and you're wanting to, yeah, you know, I preserve know. your legacy and preserve the monarchy. It's hard to think of a better know, tool than Bitcoin. But the problem is, here's the thing: <laughs> a lot of these monarchs are happily comfortable in their position because of the fiat standard as well, but yeah, not for long. Yeah. But they're happy. So you mean you mean like. The gov, the state, yeah, upholds them, yeah. and that's and how they so retain I need, their I need to open their eyes up to 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 you know get their low time low low time preference thinking again because I think they they've I, my this is my personal opinion I think they're starting to lose that thinking thinking you know that everything's going to be protected for them but not knowing that their government could implode at any second and the idea of monarchy the dated inverted bracket idea of monarchy could disappear in a second. There was a little bit of rise of, of that when uh, Queen Elizabeth died just recently. There was people talking about, you know, that, you know, what's the point of monarchy anymore? These conversations get brought up again and again. And if we don't have a, st- a stable figure like Queen Elizabeth was, then, you know, if King Charles doesn't, doesn't, uh, doesn't act as stable as her and gets too weffy or something, then uh, <laughs> I hope not. Then, uh, you know, we would, uh, then they would start to, to question that Spain, for example, they, their monarchy was on the on the ropes a few years back um, because of fiat, because the father Juan Carlos, who helped Spain into out of out of out of uh, I say out of I say helped out of uh, dictatorship. Yeah, I guess he helped. He was quite pivotal in the modernization of Spain. He then fell into the whole the whole fiat celebrity lifestyle, and then started having different lovers around the, around the world. Started embezzling money. His son was in, into embezzling money as well through charities. He was also uh, gallivanting around the world, um, poaching elephants with his lover, breaking his hip on, on on that trip and things like that. He was it's a bad look, very bad look. <laughs> so therefore, the royal family was on the on on the ropes. But he abdicated because obviously he, this is what short, this is what how long term thinking, low time preference thinking works. And he, bad, well advised by whoever it was, maybe by himself, thinking, okay, my time. You know, I've obviously messed up. I'm going to abdicate in, in in favor of my son, and he's got many years left, Juan Carlos. But his son Felipe, who's nice and boring, nice and stable, is turning things around, and he's married to a, I say, commoner, a Leticia, who's beautiful and dresses well, and people like that at the moment, and they're 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 keeping things very stable and very very correct, and because of that, uh, the popularity monarchy has gone back up again. Um, so I would like to get conversations happening. That's part of the reason of what I'm working for Jan3 is happening, not just with politicians, but I want to teach, I want to make, not teach, but and make sure that we 
that monarchs around the world have not forgotten the idea of of low time preference thinking. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be so interesting if we cast our minds into a Bitcoin, hyper Bitcoinized future, when individuals can't be stolen from either via you know directly or via inflation. Mm -hmm. You know, when when property can't when the most concentrated form of one's property, i.e., money, cannot be violated, what system of governance can can handle that that type of relations? Because oh, yes. <laughs> whether it's 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 states or monarchs in the past, you know, they've taxed, they've debased currency, both have, right? So both are guilty of that. But which of those, or perhaps something new, can accommodate people's wealth not being violated? Exactly. They'll have to and, redefine and, and, what property is, I guess. Yeah, and they'll have to they'll have to reassert and redefine and reestablish their their value, yes. right? As we've been discussing, it's like, hey, like you can't take money from me to preserve your status, and you know, just hire the soldiers to keep me under your, yeah, yeah, your exactly. boots. So, why you know why should you be at the top of the governance hierarchy or structure that we're using to coordinate our affairs here? And you know, that's going to be a very interesting thing to play out. And a, a lot of people are sleeping on on that thing emerging like the, the simple fact that the most concentrated form of one's wealth money is no longer viable <laughs> yes and the whole all of human history is about that relationship being violated and the the imbalances that are created as a result and so when that stops being possible well, well you, you want to be ahead of it if you're someone and, who's and, aspiring and to my govern. position as a, as a as a potential monarch might be in question as well you see it still get a lot of bitcoin still get a lot of bitcoin is saying why do we need a prince people are saying why are you uh bitcoin is saying why are you cheering on this prince he's just part of you know he's just part of that problem and stuff i thought you know uh rules not rulers i guess <laughs> mm -hmm. but yeah. uh yeah I, I i totally agree with them <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time you know i totally agree with them and maybe yeah that's why i i totally agree rules but not rulers uh but then that what monarchy isn't a rule uh, isn't it, sorry isn't a rule that we're not rulers essentially we are we are beholders we are we are we are beholders of 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 tradition and and customs and and um and and, and culture and that's something that standard bearers sta of a kind. yeah standard bearers and that's something that you know we make, make better make sure is not taken away from us or, or diluted away so yeah well i think that's that i mean again it's super interesting but hierarchies will always form in nature in human yes. social interaction yes. in markets everywhere that it's inevitable and so what kind of hierarchies will form when people's property can't be violated and who knows the answer to that but i think the an easy assertion is that it's going to be hierarchies that more people are in agreement with than perhaps ever before and if that ends up being monarchies that really uphold the tradition and the culture of whatever geographic domain or jurisdiction or what have you that's i can see that happening mm -hmm. as we've been discussing if it's a ceo of a of a free private city i can see that happening too but It'll be so interesting to to watch where capital and people flow as a result of that. I because agree. I, to our point about you know life isn't just money and the food that's available and the climate, life is more than anything about meaning. And so, which domain and which system of meaning and value is going to give you the most fulfillment? I think is uh, is going to be a metric that a lot of people come to appreciate and assess in the future. And 
it's by no means a certainty that people are going to choose, you know, uh, just kind of a boring CEO, quote unquote, leader versus, you know, what we now consider a monarch. However, that transforms and changes in the future, you know, because the, the monarch, as we've been discussing, seems to bring more with it. You know, maybe if, if the power is dialed down, but the the role of a cultural standard bearer or uh, ideal the power is, yeah. is amplified. Because the power is, is that, ramped up in the individual when they have, when they're in a Bitcoin standard. So exactly, yeah, exactly. That's, <laughs> I, I see it as, as a beautiful uh, bearer of, of, of tradition and culture, a, a monarch. That's their duty, really. Yeah. Well, uh, we could probably go on for hours, but uh, you've got your family to get back to, and I don't want to keep you too long. Um, was there anything you wanted to get off your uh, chest or, or touch on before we shut it down today? That no, we didn't just, touch on? I'm really excited to be working for Jan 3 now. That will became public uh, beginning of September. I've just recently finished my fiat job, and so I'm now... Hundred percent Bitcoiner. Uh, that must feel good. great. And you know, I want to call it uh, mo um, um, monarchy promoter, I guess, as well, <laughs> because I'm not part of the system. Uh, but I, yeah, I'm just really excited to be to be working full. My my full time job is now Bitcoin and working with with, with Samson, who is he's uh, he's very an impressive individual. And so we're gonna hopefully. Um, do a lot of good work together and I'm really proud to be part of the Bitcoin space and I've learned so much and I've got so much still to learn. So yeah, this is uh, exciting times. Absolutely. You know, it's, it's such a pleasure to both be and witness people enter the space as their full-time job because it's such an inspiring, you know, you kind of have the, the mentality if it's good for Bitcoin, it's good for the world. And so, <laughs> and, and it's good for me as an individual. And that just conjures up so much energy where maybe it was lacking before, mm -hmm. you know, most people have some sort of gripe, at least with their job and to be involved in something where it doesn't feel like work, where you really want to get out there and, yeah, and push it. this thing that's forward it. for everyone's benefit. It doesn't feel like work. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, again, Philip, I appreciate the time. I know you're going to crush it in, uh, in your new role I and so. I look forward to seeing the fruits of your labor and, you know, places well, starting thing, to think yeah, more about Bitcoin. One thing for critics against the top-down approach on Bitcoin is like, yes, 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 I'm going out there and I'm, we are going to be doing nation-state adoption, which is a top-down approach. But, you know, we are a technologies company as well with Bitcoin technology. So we're going to have that vertical Bitcoin technology through an uh, hard, uh, through, uh, sorry, um, software wallet. And, and then we're going to hopefully release a, uh, a, a a uh, a mining pool as well and maybe acquire a uh, um, a hardware wallet at the same time but these are tools that also are for a bottom-up approach as well so we want to also empower those unbanked the the uh unbanked Ooh, sorry bank the unbanked and that's the and uh, and unbanked bank. Bank, <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> unbanked the banks uh. <laughs> yeah but no actually they will yeah. they will need bitcoin sorry this is another rabbit hole we can go down they will need bitcoins of with cbdc's so. coming along the way you know those those banks better understand that decentralization is the way forward so they'll have to start embracing the bitcoin rails so there we go um, yeah, so my, my argument against those people thinking, oh, yeah, it's just a top-down approach that we're doing. So, no, 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 we are integrating full, uh, all, all of Bitcoin technologies 
vertical technology from um, from from um, buying Bitcoin to holding it and to mining it. And we are trying to empower the individuals to get them to be individual sovereigns and a bottom-up approach, but also talking to the high-level people to make sure they don't come down too much with a hammer and destroy the 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 the, the um um uh, the opportunity of Bitcoin is going to bring to everyone else. So this is just a multi multi-directional approach that we're doing. Yeah. Yeah. Attack attacking oh, it from both from angles. Both angles, yeah. Yeah. Well, like I said, I, I can't wait to see some of the fruits of your labor. Uh you know, and the announcements that inevitably will come out of it at the various conferences in the future. So, um, <laughs> you know, best, best of luck. Thanks, Thanks again for so the time. Much, and I'm sure we'll talk it's again soon. It's been great talking to you. Really had a good chat. You too, brother. Take care. I hope you all enjoyed this discussion with Prince Philip. If you'd like to hear more from him, follow him on Twitter at P-R-I-N-C-F-I-L-I-P and the number one, and visit Jan3, J-A-N and the number three dot com to keep up with the work he and the team are doing to foster global Bitcoin adoption. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Closing the Loop, and we'll see you next time.